Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. We're in a series on 1 Peter. This little letter in the New Testament uh, that we've been we're just uh, kind of walking through here over these next few weeks during this season. And uh, again, I'm just going to really be upfront with you. I'm going to put all my cards on the table right from the get-go. Uh, the message this morning is, is what it has been really week in and week out here recently, and it is that Jesus Christ is sort of at the center of uh, what Peter is saying. It's what Emily read for us from 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 here, this beautiful image, this portrait of what Jesus Christ has done, one that we use frequently here when we take communion. We will reflect on, on these words that she read for us. Uh, but, but once again, Right, uh, uh, for Peter, Jesus Christ is right at the center. Uh, who we are, what we do, uh, what we do, where we are, right, in the different places that we may be. For Peter, he brings it right back uh, to Jesus Christ. So I'm, I'm just going to put all that out there. That's where we're going to land, okay? So if between here and there, I get lost or you get lost, now you know, right? And uh, you can take away from this that Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he's done, uh, as Peter tells us, becomes the center, the ground for who we are and what we do in, in, the, in the different places we are. Right? That, that all of that flows out of, that the order is important. All of that flows out of what Jesus Christ has already done for us. So that's where we're headed. Sound good? Awesome. You guys are like, great, I'm going to check out. I'll see you when service is over. Uh, I, I was sitting around the table. I have twin daughters who were eight. Uh, no, nine. I have twin daughters who were nine. And uh, that was close. Uh, We were sitting around the table uh, one night this week, and uh, we were just kind of chatting. Someone here actually had asked me about, they're like, you know, when do you think the girls will be old enough to babysit? And I was like, I hadn't even thought about it, right? Like, I guess kids do that. That still happens. I don't know. And and so we were talking about it at the table. Like, you know, I was like, Jess, how old were you when you first uh, babysat? And uh, the kids, we're kind of talking over the kids. They were a part of the conversation. And one of my children uh, uh, just kind of chimed in her, her, Well, the delivery was incredible, but she's just like, I think we're ready. Uh, I think it sounds pretty easy to sit on babies, right? Yeah. And, uh, right, right. Okay, it's either shock or humor. You're like, what? (laughs) I felt the same way. On the one hand, I was really proud of her. Her comedic timing was was just flat affect, just like put it out there. And I was like, wow. And then I was like, this is a little weird, right? We go, uh. I think we need to kind of step into this conversation a little bit. And, you know, we kind of laughed, had a good moment. Well, later, uh, actually a day or two later, uh, we were asking her about it because, like, where did that come from? It turns out, uh, thankfully, like, there was a bit of context to that comment. We'd been reading some Shel Silverstein poetry, like The Light in the Attic, Where the Sidewalk Ends, and he's a little, you know, What's the word? Macabre? I don't know what the fancy word is. It's kind of dark sometimes, and uh, it's humor, right? And uh, so I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's where that came from. I felt a little better because I, I had a little context. And in a weird sort of roundabout way, uh, I want to suggest to you that what Emily read for us from First Peter, this beautiful portrait of who Jesus is, sort of finds a clearer expression for us when, when, we, when we look at it in context. Because I do think on the surface, we get this beautiful portrait, but it begins with that, that phrase, right, that, that uh, you have an example uh, of how to suffer because Jesus has suffered. This is the introduction to what Emily read for us. And, and on the surface, I feel like, I, you know, we've been at church, like we kind of, this is familiar language to us, but man, if we just hear it, like, I, it kind of strikes me the way uh, my daughter's comment around the, around the table regarding 
babysitting struck me. And I want to suggest to you this morning that if we kind of zoom out and read this portrait or view this portrait in the context, which these, these are ways I would encourage you whenever you step into scripture to kind of uh, hopefully the way we handle it this morning will be helpful as you look at scripture yourself. But that as we sort of look at some context here, it, it helps us hear what, what Peter is saying. So I'm going to take you all the way back. I have these, a couple of verses here. Uh, so she began reading verse 21, but, but really the move towards that example that we get that Emily read for us comes a few verses earlier in verse 11. And uh, if you want to read along in, in your Bible or on your phone or uh, read here, I'd encourage you to kind of keep it out because um, we're going to sort of look at a chunk here. But verse 11, this is what Peter says, beloved, again, a beautiful, a beautiful term of endearment, right? beloved. Probably not one you use. Maybe you do. I don't know. You greet your coworkers, beloved. But uh, there's affection here, right? There's warmth. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and, and ex, uh, sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There's a lot, uh, a lot in here, but I think these couple of verses sort of set the direction for what's going to follow in First Peter. They give us context to what we read in the verses that follow. So uh, I, I want to suggest to you that that in these verses, Peter kind of shifts. Uh, this is a this is a really the heart of the letter. Uh, in his language at the beginning, he, he calls them beloved as sojourners. He's hearkening back to the way he started the letter as elect exile. So he's kind of wrapped up his introduction. And now he's like, we're getting down to brass tacks here. This is what all that I have told you before, th- this is sort of how it finds expression in your life. This is how then you should live as a result of knowing who you are, right? That's the move here. So this is really the heart of the letter. And he's answering a question that has relevance whether we sort of like think about it or not, has relevance for you and me still today. And that question is like, what does it mean? What does it mean? How do we live our Christian life confession? How do we live this uh, rightly in, in the world? Right? Specifically, right, Peter, is, as we'll see in just a moment, he, he's, he's pulling them into the question, well, what does it mean knowing this is who you are because of what Jesus has done? How do you live this in the places you are? Right? How do you live this this confession in Jesus Christ, how do you live this in the places you are? Well, in different places, some of them similar, some of them very different, but how do you live this in the places you are? So that's a question I think that has resonance that I'll ask you to kind of keep in the foreground of your mind. I don't know that I'll answer it very well today that we will, but, but I do think it's a question that if you can hold as you read and think about uh, what we read about Jesus as we celebrate communion, I mean, that's the, that's the question for us this morning. How do you take that how do you live that uh, into the places you are? So maybe differently than I, we do sometimes, uh, you know, I'm just going to make some observations about this sort of large chunk of scripture. And we're not even going to read it all. If you go and read it later, maybe the observations will make more sense, which I realize now is probably the wrong way. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm just going to make some observations about this passage that I think will help us. And the first one uh, is this. In the bit that we read, we'll leave it right up here. I think it's important to notice that Peter calls the people he's writing to, the people who have been displaced geographically, 
but also culturally, uh, religiously, social context, civic life, all that's been disrupted because now they've said, oh, we believe Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, it's changed our sort of allegiance in life. All that's been disrupted, so they're, they're displaced. And, and Peter's telling them, oh, this is how you live that in the world. Well, I, I want to observe, first of all, that I think what he says to them here is to live, um, live from who you are now, not from who you were. All right, so we're, we're, we're holding the question, how do I live my faith in the world. And I, I think sometimes we tend to kind of hold it, we, we tend to think we need to approach this in a sort of adversarial kind of way. That I live my life uh, sort of finger pointed, um, and, uh, sort of juxtaposition to the world. And that's clearly there. There is tension in this passage around my confession of Jesus and how that affects my relationship to the rest of the world. But it's interesting to me here that the move Peter makes is that, is that sort of what drives your life is not sort of defining who I am against the world, but against who I was before Jesus. And it's been his language from the beginning. Whether or not you came to Jesus at a, as a young person or later in life, you know, that, that, that there is sort of before, apart from Christ, this is who I am and would have been. But with Christ... The language he uses at the beginning of the letter is that we've been born again into living hope. We've been birthed, uh, made new. And so here he kind of nudges them towards one way to live this confession in your world is instead of living it sort of in opposition to the world. Again, he doesn't deny that there will be friction there. But instead of sort of taking this kind of, you know, adversarial approach to the world. No, the, 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 the move of this passage is to kind of live different from who you were. And I think it's in that language here in this verse, right? Abstain from the passion of the flesh, which war against your soul. This sort of, your heart used to kind of be pulled. Your soul was kind of pulled in all of these uh, different directions that characterized your life previously, but you have been made new. Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection has, has worked a change in you that is inexplicable. Uh, and apart from uh, merit in your own life, but live out of who you are then, not who you uh, were. I I, I think the language is a little more, if we were going to sort of uh, paraphrase, it's it's a little less like, don't be like your neighbors are, and a little more like, don't be as you used to be, which is a subtle, I think, a subtle change, but I think it's a helpful one because it changes how we engage with the people around us doesn't mean there's not friction or tension or that your confession to follow Jesus doesn't put you uh, in conflict with sort of the values or different things in the world around you, but it does sort of change the way we approach that space because it's, not, it's, it's no longer sort of me against my neighbor. It's, it's me remembering I've been made new and changed from who I was. I, I found an interview with Anne Lamott. So she's an author who has written on uh, faith and her own sort of broken kind of story and, and how faith has been expressed and uh, she had, had a recent interview, uh, I think it was for Time Magazine, and the interviewer was asking her, and they were kind of talking about sort of this nature of, of life being hard and the world being hard and lots of conflict. And the interviewer was like, man, my fantasy, she said, is to escape to another place or country where I'll definitely be a nicer person, right? Like if I could just change the context, right? That's what she's saying here. If I could just change sort of the influences around me, I know I'd be a nicer person. And Anne Lamott's response I thought was interesting. She's like, man, if it's out there, it's not going to work, <laughs> It's not going to work if if it's another country, if it's a perfect spouse, if it's a perfect diet, if it's out there, she said. Maybe maybe it'll work for part of a day, but it's not out there. She said, no, it's it's an inside job. Horribly, horribly, it's an inside 
job. And, and what I think she's nudging us toward is what Peter is, is sort of drawing us into, that, 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 that the hope of the gospel, as it relates to how you and I relate to the world around us, is, is first a, a living from who we are, that we have been made new. We, we are different from who we were. Not, man, we are different from the world, although that is evidently true, as Peter will go on to flesh out. But, but the way we live into that is to, is to remember first that we are different from who we were. Right? That's my first observation. Again, a small nudge, but I think it helps change the way you relate to people, I relate to people around us. I, I want to suggest a, sort of a second move here, and it's in verse, uh, verse 12. Uh, so he keeps going, right? Keep your conduct uh, among the Gentiles honorable. Gentiles here uh, is a sort of a reference to those who haven't made this confession. Right? Your, your life is now marked by your confession of faith in Jesus, and now... Uh, you're living among people who don't share that allegiance. And he says, live among them in a way that's honorable. Uh, so, so if the first observation that I would want to make is, you know, we, we live from sort of who we are now, not who we were, as opposed to in opposition to the people around us. I, I think a second observation is we do that where, where we are. We, we live who we are now, different from who we were, where we are. And, and Peter, um, which is this... <laughs> move, I think, in Peter. What follows in Peter, we, we didn't read it, but what follows are going to be some really concrete examples of spaces into which the people he's writing will have to return. So this, this sense of like, they, they, their lives have been changed. They are new people now with allegiances to Jesus Christ, whose life has uh, changed, his life, death, and resurrection has changed them. And now they've got to go back into all the places they live, all the spheres in which their life has typically functioned. They've got to go back into those places and try to live that out. And Peter is going to help them by giving them some really concrete examples. Uh, so some of them here, we didn't read them, but if you're looking at it, you'll see it out of, there might be heading breaks in there, but I think the flow of the thought is, is all connected. All right, so he says, this is who you are, so this is how you live honorably among those who maybe don't share this confession. And then he gives these con three concrete examples. Uh, he, talks about, uh, he talks about relating to Rome, so sort of the civic political structure of their day. He talks about servants and masters, and then he talks about husbands and, and wives. And he gives a few examples of um, sort of, he kind of teases out a, a bit of what, what this space looks like. Um, he, he says, interestingly, I, again, I just think it's an interesting observation that he covers like, uh, he covers a full sweep uh, of human experience, right? H human, uh, uh, these, these spheres are very broad, uh, political, right? Um, you, might, you might say economic uh, uh, and familial, right? He kind of, this, this whole, he kind of talks to people who are going to return to all these different spaces of their current life to situations where, the people around them, no one around them will hold this confession, which I think many of you, maybe that's your experience at work. For some, it's probably not culturally. We, we know, I, mean, I grew up in the Bible Belt, so maybe it was a bit different. Uh, but even still here, uh, you know, if things are moving away from this, and maybe you're around more people that share this con con conviction. Than, but in, in Peter's day, certainly in Peter's day, I, I, I think that there's a bit of tension. They were returning to spaces where uh, no one else holds confessions now, what does it look like uh, for them to live it? So I, 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 again, as we sort of make some observations here, I, I think it's interesting what he says in each of these contexts is the same thing, right? It is the same thing, be subject to. 
So they, they come together. They, Christ has redefined their life, sends them back into their spaces and talks about living in a way that's kind of honorable, respectful of, of the people uh, around to be, be subject to. And uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I have wrestled and wrestled and chewed and chewed over this sort of passage because th- these are the types of passages in Scripture that oftentimes get misconstrued or misapplied or abused to kind of uh, support um, things that are clearly not reflective of Christ. And we didn't read all those things, but in the language of, of relating to Rome and in the language of slaves and masters and then husbands and wives, oftentimes these things get pu- picked up to kind of uh, sort of uh, uh, undergird or support sort of a, a power and authority. And I, I don't think that's the, the move that Peter is, is making here. And um, I, I, again, we're going to land, remember, we're going to land where we started. But it's interesting to me that Peter sort of goes into these examples a couple of things to remember. Maybe you go back and read this. And, uh, I think it's, the context is helpful. Peter's clearly talking in each of these situations about how they relate to unbelievers, to, to Gentiles, to people who don't hold this confession. That is a really specific sort of contextual guardrail as we step into these relationships. So as he talks to husbands and wives or, or people returning uh, as servants into, the, into their homes, they're, they're returning to a system of which they have a little or no control. Uh, and, and he's like, well, what does it mean for you to hold this confession in Jesus in a space where no one else around you is doing that? And in a space where this conviction in your life disrupts those relationships. So one, I think you're going to remember that context. I think a second thing to remember here is, is that, is that uh, uh, Peter speaks, is, is really calling all of them to freedom. Like you've been made free in Christ, even though the circumstances of your life uh, maybe don't reflect it. Uh, this kind of writing in Scripture uh, is not unique to scripture. You find these kinds of lists, these kinds of instructions to households and all sorts of writing in and around the New Testament. So secular versions of philosophers and various authors kind of writing these kinds of instructions. And most scholars agree that, that uh, what you find in all those contexts is they never directly address sort of the, the, uh, the people on the wrong end of power in those settings. Whereas in this case, Peter speaks, and he speaks to the servants in households or wives uh, in their households where maybe in a culture where they would have been, um, they would have been not in a position of, of autonomy or, or um, strength. It speaks to them as free sort of moral agents. You guys have been set free. You, you, your allegiance now is sort of determined uh, by another. And I think that's a helpful kind of contextual clue as you read it. And then I think another sort of thing to remember is, is Peter's writing to, to Christians at a time when when Christianity uh, was new, 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 and small, uh, uh, a minority, small and powerless, right, lost in this vast sea of sort of Roman strength, right, cultural, culturally just kind of on the fringe. Yes, it was growing, and we know now like thousands of years of church history, but, but here in this moment, he is writing to people whom he knows are going to return to difficult situations and experience sort of the friction that their allegiance to Jesus is going to cause in these various constructs over which they are powerless to, to kind of change. I think sometimes we read things like this, like Peter, I just want him to attack the system, right? Like just sort of unpack some of the things in here that, that, that don't uh, seem to reflect uh, the gospel. Uh, but what Peter does is sends people who are suffering, uh, how can I encourage them? I know they have to return uh, to the life that they know among people who don't share this confession. How can I encourage them? And I think as we hold those things together, it changes a bit of how we hear Peter when he tells them. You're going back into these situations. Maybe you feel alone. You don't know what it's going to be like for you to live your faith. Let me remind you, Jesus Christ has suffered. 
right? That the one upon whom you have now based this confession in your life, Jesus Christ, has, has, has walked this road before you and walks it with you. Uh, one, one New Testament a scholar kind of reflecting on this feeling, like we want sometimes scripture kind of speak to these systemic things, but he says, interestingly, Jesus again and again, you know, he doesn't attack sort of Roman political structure, right? Uh, he does address sort of the religious culture of his day, but he doesn't implement some like, let's reform uh, the faith, but repeatedly he calls people to trust him, to follow him. Uh, the, the, and yet, right, and yet, the, 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 the way in which uh, Christianity will eventually change the world finds its roots from people professing a faith in a Messiah who was crucified. It doesn't really add up, but yet it's the same move that Peter makes here, which I think, which I think brings us to the heart, if you will, to the heart of the heart of the matter, right? See what I, see what I did there? Maybe not. I didn't do much, really. That's probably why you're looking at me like that. But uh, I think if the heart of the matter for Peter is like, well, how do I live my faith in the world? The heart of the heart of the matter, once again, Peter brings him right back to Jesus. Brings him into what Emily read for us this morning. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. As you step into all the spheres of your life where you may experience friction or tension, as you live out this change, you've been made new in the places where you are. It will inevitably lead to to persecution, which is even in the passage that we read. And yet, he says, and yet somehow knowing that that the the Messiah you follow and pledge allegiance to, this this is his story as well, uh, that God, the hope that God will work some form of redemption there. Uh, I think is what, what Peter holds out to us this morning. I think there's a, a lot that, that could be said, uh, a lot that I haven't said or maybe haven't said very clearly, but I, I do think that the movement here, again, uh, another helpful voice for me as uh, an, another sort of theologian, his name is Miroslav Volf, and he, uh, his life had been shaped, he grew up in East, Eastern Europe uh, in, in, in places and spaces of um, uh, ethnic uh, persecution, uh, but yet held on to faith in Christ and writes about what's it like to hold on to faith in those kinds of contexts. And he makes the observation about First Peter specifically that there is this movement, right? There's something about people who pledge allegiance to a God who would allow himself to die on a cross. It changes the way we engage with the world. It changes the way we grasp for power and authority. It changes the way we uh, respond to the people around us. And uh, I I think it's a kind of helpful move here. But it doesn't change the question really for you and me that we started with. What about you? Right? What about me? What's it look like in your spheres of life where you are? Um, What does it mean for, for you to say, I follow a crucified Messiah whom, whom yet somehow God still chose and rose from the dead. That's my sort of pattern for life. What's it mean to, to follow something like that into your workplace and environment and neighborhood and friendships? I, uh, I still think, you know, maybe it's a question you can kind of hold and wrestle with, but I'll, I, I'll offer one example uh, that maybe will help us one, one last nudge here. Uh, I just, my wife took me to see the Avett Brothers, a little musical duo. They, they've, been on, they've been on my, like, radio, radio dial. Is it like this? I don't know. What is it anymore? I don't even know. They've been on my playlist, right? Avett Brothers. It's kind of, the, I, I don't know what you'd call them, uh, sort of bluegrass, 
punk rock, I don't know, like, uh, from the kind of rural North Carolina, and uh, I've been a lot of fun, I've enjoyed sort of, uh, enjoying some of their music, and the show was kind of all over the place, just lots of genres, and really stripped down, sort of intimate moments, banjo, guitar, you know, bluegrass, it was really fun, but some sort of louder bits, but um, uh, it was a lot of fun, but it got me thinking about something I've shared, I think, with, with some of you guys before. Uh, there's a documentary out about him. Judd Apatow, I think, sort of did this documentary about these guys. And, you know, their brothers, family, kind of the intimacy of their friendships and, and, and struggles, all that kind of stuff, and how the band sort of formed. And they talk about, uh, uh, one of them, the younger brother, talks about, you know, when they started, uh, they wanted to be like punk rock, right? Like rock and roll, the louder, the better, right? Like, like, like this sort of, and maybe that's you, like, yes, right? Uh, and, and he talked about, you know, we just, we, we wanted to scream rather than sing or set lists. I think how he put it there. But he said when he was 14, again, rural North, rural North Carolina, when he was uh, 14, he was introduced to Doc Watson. His dad had introduced him to Doc Watson. Doc Watson was a, uh, a kind of a virtuoso, like uh, a flat picker sort of guitar player blind, uh, just uh, kind of renowned in the country music bluegrass scene. And this 14-year-old kid, Seth, was introduced to, to Doc Watson, and he said it just shattered his notions of uh, what he thought was quality music. And in the interview, in, in this documentary, he says something that has, has lingered with me, it's been several years now, but he said, I thought, I thought volume and power were synonymous. Right? I thought volume and power were synonymous, but I learned that power comes from character. And he said, with this music, you know, as he's kind of finding his footing, he's like, with this music, like bluegrass, I, can, I can't hide behind the volume. Right? I thought volume and power were synonymous, but I learned that power comes from character. And I think, I think that's the direction that Peter nudges us. I don't think we have to look very hard, in our, even in our culture, the way Christianity oftentimes engages with the culture. We have bought into the sort of notion that volume equals power. And influence, and and, and yet uh, Peter here nudges us in another direction. Wolf, the, the 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 Eastern European theologian, calls it a soft difference. That what Peter advocates for here in your life and mine, as you step into all the places you are, a kind of soft difference, not a weak difference. Right? He says it's not weak, very strong, but but soft. He said we want to approach it with this, like a hard difference that sort of pushes people away, uh, it kind of points the finger, uh, become like me or get away from me. Our mission to the world then sort of works in like pressure and manipulation and threats very loud uh, because, you know, volume equals power. But he says, man, it sounds like Peter is nudging us towards a soft difference. Yeah. That on the other hand, right, uh, there is a way to step into the world that is fearless because we know who we are in Jesus. And that's the direction of our passage here. At least what Peter says, you step into all these places. We think volume is power, but he says there is a change that happens in you because of what Jesus has done that gets noticed, that overlaps even with the good of culture in our reading here. So that even though they persecute and reject sort of this confession in Jesus, they can recognize, man, there is some good for the world happening here. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.